The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you who are here in person. Welcome in the name of Jesus. For those of you that are joining us online, grace and peace to you. Welcome. Glad you're here. If you're visiting, you are very welcome, and we would like for you, if you're visiting, uh, there's a QR code inside the bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, we hope you pick one up, scan the QR code, and there's a visitor card that you can fill out. We'd love to get you to know you a little bit better, um, know kind of somebody, a little bit of your background, and just let you get to know us a little bit as well. And so if you would, wouldn't mind filling that out, that would be fantastic. The Springs is a church that we are being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way back to God. We do that three ways, through gathering together, uh, through the Father, in order to worship and do things like this together. We grow into the image of, of Christ. We do that through connections groups and other ministries that we have here in the Springs. And then we also go by the power of the Spirit. And this year is our year of go. So I want to give you a little bit of heads up about what's coming for our adult classes here in the month of January. We're in a series called Hope Rising that we're beginning today. And if you're in class, you were treated uh, to Steve Buck, who kicked off our adult class this morning here in the auditorium on Hope Rising. You met, if you weren't here, you missed out. Steve did a fantastic job of kind of introducing us to the theme and telling some very powerful stories about hope and transformation and the way hope functions in human beings. And we want to be able to talk about that. Next week, uh, we're going to have Dr. Chan Hellman, who is a psychology, uh, he has his PhD in psychology, but he works in, so, he works in the, the College of Social Work at OU. He's actually written a book and done quite a bit of research on hope and the science of hope. Um, he's not writing from a Christian perspective, but he is a Christian, and he's wanting to, he's actually done a lot of work to say, how does hope function within human beings and for, for flourishing, for life? The following Sunday after that, on the 23rd, Dr. Amy Emerson is going to come and teach the class. She's a medical doctor, but right now she's spending a lot of time trying to implement this idea and the practice of hope within uh, the community in different organizations. She's also a member and worships at the Park Church of Christ, uh, formerly Park Plaza in Tulsa. And so she's going to come on the 23rd and she's going to teach our class. So you're going to want to be there for that. And then finally, on the last Sunday of the month, uh, Lisa Buck is going to close out the series. We also have some guest preachers. While I'm beginning today on this theme of this series on rise, hope rising. Next week, not only will Dr. Chan Hellman be teaching our adult class, he's also going to be preaching for us. And then the following Sunday after that, Lisa Buck is going to interview Sarah Stitt, who's going to come and visit us here. And we want Sarah to tell her story, uh, the traumas she's experienced in her life, and the way that hope has functioned the practice of hope in restoring and healing and making for a better future. And then finally, Brett is going to finish out our sermon series on, on Hope Rising 
at the end of the month before we go into February, which is going to be our missions month. But I'm going to start us off today. Hope rising, living into God's future. So the text we have this morning is actually a text that Steve, if you were in class, text he mentioned this morning. It's in Mark chapter 2, uh, beginning in uh, verse, verse 1. Mark 2 verse 1 says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or get to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word. For as followers of you, seeking to be created, created in your image and seeking to be transformed more and more into your image, we trust and believe and confess that your word is our life. For we know that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so, as always, we pray this prayer that God, you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts to follow. And you give us lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I pray today for the gift of preaching. We pray all this in the name of your son, who is the hope of the world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is a Savior, and I am not him. These are words Actually, really good advice that was given uh, to Kim and myself and our teammates in Uganda by some friends and mentors that lived in a town on the other side of uh, the country of Uganda when we served there, a town called Imbarara. And they said these words at a really, really important time. We'd probably been in Uganda probably six to eight months. And culture shock, shock had set in. And we were reeling, to be fair. And they reminded us, when we went to visit them, and we were sharing some of these struggles, they reminded us, there is a Savior, and you are not Him. See, we'd entered into Uganda, the reality of Uganda, and the very first Sunday we were there, we were at church, and with our teammates, and this young teenage girl comes up to our teammates and begins talking with them and telling her story about how she didn't have school fees and the challenges that her family was going through and the things that they were up against. And so our teammates heard her story and she began asking them if, if she, she, they could help her with school fees and start paying her school fees. And they're like, yes, we can help you with that. We can help you pay school fees. Little did my teammates know, nor did I know, that every single 
youth in Uganda needed school fees. So when word got out, guess who got lots of knocks at their door? Overwhelming. Because in Uganda, poverty is a reality. And in some ways, it's set up by colonialism that set up this structure that was very good that, that kids should go to school, but then didn't set up all the structures for how kids would actually financially and how that system worked. And you may not like our system, but I guarantee it's better, it, it's, it's better than that system. And so in a sense, they're living kind of through that trauma of trying to figure out school is important, but how do I actually afford it? The other reality that hit us was the phone calls we'd get or the knocks at our gate or at our door or when I'd go to the village expecting to do a sermon or teach a class but only to realize there was a funeral. And even if I didn't know that person, oftentimes I'd get asked to speak at a funeral. And a good percentage of the time, the funeral was for a young child the reality is that I didn't know one couple, one adult couple in Uganda that hadn't lost a child. I'm sure there were some, but I didn't know them. Or if they weren't married, I didn't know anyone that hadn't lost a sibling. Sickness and death, it was traumatizing for people. They struggle with it all the time. And so we often thought, man, some things need to change. Man, the education needs to change. Hospitals need to change. I mean, they would come to my wife, Kim, who wasn't even a nurse yet. That's one of the things that inspired my wife to become a nurse. She did so many medical things. People would come to her. And sometimes it was just better to go to a private clinic or there was a book that we had where there is no doctor. We'd look it up. We weren't trying to play doctor or do anything that was illegal, but sometimes they'd go to the hospital and it just wouldn't make any sense what they were trying to sell them or give them. It was just all, it was messed up. And so we would think, man, there needs to be change. This is a democracy. Can you vote this person out and get a new person? So when elections would come up, we would ask the current president, he's still the president there, his name is Yari Museveni, who actually took over as a military leader, he was a general and, and reigned for 10 years as a general. And then they set up the Constitution, and every five years there was election. So when we lived there, he'd already been elected twice. He was already in office for 20 years. 10 as a, a military leader that took over, and then two terms as, a, as an elected official. So when elections would come up, I remember one election cycle, and I would go to the village, and I would, because everybody was talking about it. And I didn't mean to be intrusive, but it was very good friends of mine, and it was something that they would talk about a lot. And so I'd ask them, well, who are you going to vote for? Because they complained, but it wasn't really clear. So who are you going to vote for? And overwhelmingly, to a person, if they complained about Yari Museveni, overwhelmingly to a person, they would say, well, we're going to vote for Museveni. I was like, why are you going to vote for Museveni? And this was their response. I mean, overwhelmingly... Each person I talk to, because he doesn't kill people. 
And it hit me that most of these people have lived through the reality of Idi Amin. They are traumatized. If you don't know who Idi Amin is, he was a ruthless dictator that ruled Uganda, destroyed Uganda, realistically, in the 1970s. To give you a picture, before the 1970s, the, the main hospital in Kampala was doing open-heart surgeries. They had that technology to do that. Idi Amin came, wrecked the, within six months wrecked the economy, wrecked everything, was a tyrant, was a killer. Just recently, almost 50 years later, they just started doing open-heart surgeries again in Uganda. That's how far he set them back. They're living in the trauma of colonialism and poverty, of sickness and death, of violence and corruption. But one of the other things that you need to know about Uganda is that their own sense of agency the way they view the world. In fact, the way they view the world is that there is very little that they have control of in the world. And if you think this is odd, it's actually the way that people thought in Bible times as well, to be fair. So when you read Scripture, Scripture actually makes more sense in Uganda than it is to us. We think we have quite a bit of agency but they live in a world where they're like, I can't control. There's so many things I can't control. And so people in these situations, and it's true not only for Scripture, times of the Bible, but it's also true in cultures like in Uganda, is that, that if, you, if your life, if you're trying to survive, one of the ways that you go about trying to survive in the world is that you go and you try to find a person or a community that you can put your hope in. Because these relationships provide hope and they serve as a means to a worthwhile or honorable existence so long as that source is reliable. And it just so happens because I was a missionary, they assumed I was a reliable source. And because I was from America, and what that means is this, just to be fair, and it did mean that, I was a reliable source. Well, also, coming from my background, is that when there's a problem, you're taught to address it and fix it. So with my sense of agency, we were like, we've got to fix these problems. We were just running, I mean, into problem after problem after problem after problem after problem. If you know, if you've experienced this, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your life, you have compassion fatigue and culture shock, and you're just like, and then when someone says to you, there is a Savior, and you are not Him, you go, yes, thank you, Jesus. That's so true. Thank you. I needed that reminder. That was a realization that I needed. But there's also another realization that our team needed to hear. When we came to Uganda, actually it was teammates before that came in 1994. They, they would get asked all the time by Ugandans, are you a development worker? And this was in the 90s and my teammates would say, nope, I'm not a development worker. I'm here to plant churches. 
Okay? By the way, they planted lots and lots of churches. They would get asked again by Ugandans, are you a development worker? No, we're here to plant churches. That's what we came to do. Are you a development worker? No, we're here to plant churches. Are you a development worker? No, we're here to plant churches. And finally one day, one of my teammates, his name is Mark Moore, he got asked that question again, and he finally he said, they ask, are you a development worker? And he goes, yes, I am. And what we learned from getting into development work and what we actually learned from Uganda is while they accepted the gospel, what we learned from Ugandans is this, is that the gospel is more than just about believing something. It's actually transformative for their life. And they expected it to be transformative in their life. Yeah, we planted churches and they believed and these were thriving churches with real faith. But they still had real problems like education and poverty, sickness and death, violence and corruption. And they wanted to know, how does the gospel change these things? And so what we came to was instead of thinking like uh, an American does about dependence versus independence, we started thinking about our role in the community as shared responsibility. In fact, we learned this. Hope is sharing responsibility with your community. It's not an emotion as Steve and Lisa are going to talk about and as Dr. Chan and others are going to talk about. It's actually an action. It's sharing responsibility. You know, one of the things that's interesting that in my time and working through all of these things, I'm kind of being a little bit vulnerable today and you may look at this story and judge me for it. And I'm okay if you do that, but I've had to kind of go th- walk through this and, and, and kind of come to these, these realizations through my own experience. But I remember when the financial crisis happened in the late 2000s. I remember hearing about the stock market crashing. And I, I thought about this before, but as so many people around me were poor, and in all reality, I was kind of Bill Gates in that community, I kept thinking to myself, this is an odd thing. Because, yeah, my good friends and the people I'm with, they are poor. But their net worth is way more than mine. I mean, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. I didn't have a house payment, but I had loans, and I, had, I hadn't really invested in that much, and wasn't making a lot of money for American standards. And to be honest, I owed more money than I made. And so I was thinking, most of the people I'm friends with, they don't really owe that much money. They have land. If the whole co- economy collapses, I've got lots of friends that I could go live with. And I was talking to another missionary and I was kind of telling this and kind of smiling as well and talking about the irony. And then he turns and he says, yeah, Ben, but you have something that they don't have. You're right. Their net worth is more than yours. But here's what you have. You've got options. 
if you fell on hard times, there's multiple pathways that you could get out of that. And not only that, you actually have a community that will actually help you. You understand, I, I know this to be true and I'm, I'm blessed. And I know not everybody has this situation, but it's true. When we were in Uganda, if we fell in hard times, there were communities, including this one, including Memorial Road Church of Christ, including East County Church of Christ, including people that didn't go to church, that if we fell on a hard times and we needed something, they were there for us. They empowered us. When we were in the hospital with Bella, do you know how many people came by and visited us? How many calls we got from people at East County Church of Christ in Gresham, Oregon, our sending church? How many people from the church that we went to at the time, which wasn't this one, came? Do you know how many people from this church that we didn't even go to this church came to visit us? You're going to hear Dr. Hellman talk about hope, and here's how he defines hope. Hope is the belief that your future can be better than your past and that you actually have a role to play in making it better. And he says there are two crucial things that you need for hope. The first one is you need pathways. And pathways are a roadmap that a person has to begin to journey to the future. It is a defined path towards a goal or a future. If I fell on any hard times, still today, I'm not saying it wouldn't be difficult. I'm not saying I wouldn't be stressed. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that for you, but for most of us, not all of us, for most of us, including myself, I've got lots of pathways, if I really think about it. I got lots of pathways. And he says the second thing that you need, number one is pathways. The second thing you need is agency or willpower. And this is the ability to dedicate mental and physical and physical energy to sustain the journey towards a different future. And he says this often, this agency often comes from the community that you're part of, whether it be church or social group or friend group, connections group. I have had an entire community that empowers me. They give me confidence. You give me confidence and agency. Uh, here's what I'm saying. I'm incredibly privileged. And I know that. I'm not saying you're equal or that everything's hunky-dory, but for most of us in this room, you have multiple pathways. And I'm not saying it's easy, but you've got multiple pathways. And I'm not saying this is always true that the church or your community, but you've got community that gives you agency and encouragement that helps you along the way that maybe provide pathways for you at times. Belief, hope is the belief 
that your future is going to be better than your past and that you have some agency in that. And the two things you need, that people need, are pathways and agency. And most of us have that. And most of us have hope. You know, as I think about Mark chapter 2, I think, uh, I wonder about that conversation that happens before they actually take Jesus. I mean, they actually take the man on the mat to Jesus. If you'll indulge me a little bit, I'll, I'll give you my interpretation or what I think how that conversation went. Can I do that? You want to hear that? So one of the friends comes up to the guy on the mat. He says, hey, have you heard of this guy named Jesus? I heard he's healing people. And the guy on the mat turns and says, yeah, I've heard of that guy. Oh, man. I wish he'd come back to town. And his friend turns to him and says, no, 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 I've heard he's back in Capernaum. I heard he's, he's just down the road. At, he's just down the road at this house. You want to go? We should go. Let's go see him. Come on, you want to go? And he goes, how are we going to get there? I can't walk. And neither you nor any of our friends or I have a donkey that we could get on to go down and see him. His friend thinks for a minute. He thinks, well, we can carry you. And the guy on the mat says, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll get Levi and Isaac and Gideon and we'll, we'll come back and we'll carry you there. He's like, no. He's like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. Come on, let's go. And he goes, okay, that's a, that's a halfway decent plan. But what if we get there and he can't see me? I mean, what if we get there and the crowds are so big that he can't see me or worse yet that he, he won't, he refuses to see me? And imagine the friend says, if we're going to carry you all the way to that house of Jesus, we will dig through the roof to get you there. Sure enough, they walk down the road with this guy on a mat. And they get there and the crowd is so large they can't get into Jesus. They're like, huh. well, I was just kind of actually being using hyperbole when I said dig through roofs but why not so they started digging through the roof and they lower this guy down on a mat to Jesus and Jesus says this when he saw their faith he said son your sins are forgiven there is a savior and the friends are not him. But they share in the responsibility of hope by helping to create pathways and give agency to that man on the mat. Here's the goal of hope. The goal of our hope is Christ and the world that he is restoring. The hope in his restoration of the world. And when we think of Acts chapter 2, we think of us in Churches of Christ, we think of Peter's sermon, 
where he preaches, and at the end of the sermon, 3,000 people were baptized, right? Many people were baptized. But if you go on, it's not, in Acts, it's not the, the preaching of the sermons is what attracts so many people to Christianity. It's actually what happens a little later in Acts 2. In Acts 2, verse 42, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was the community that was actually birthed from that sermon. They weren't the saviors, but they were the kind of community that shared the responsibility of hope that God's future is better than the past and that they have a role to play. So, here were some of their pathways. They sold their possessions and they shared their goods. And they provided pathways for each other. Simple as that. And it says they met together and they ate every day together. And you imagine there was encouragement. And there was a community that provided agency, that gave people hope. Pathways and agency. And then at the end of that, did you notice what it says? They created pathways by sharing their goods, sharing their time, sharing their space, sharing their lives. And they ate together, and they encouraged one another, and they gave each other agency. And at the end of that, it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily. That's how the majority of people came to Christianity for the practice of hope in the community of faith. You know, I had an experience before I went to Uganda in, at East County Church of Christ. There was a ministry that was, uh, I think, kind of a secular, it wasn't a, I think it was a secular organization that worked with the homeless population in Portland and the surrounding areas. But one of the beautiful things they did, and I can't remember if this organization or churches got together, but there were several churches in the area. I mean, there's Lutheran church, there's community church, there's Catholic church, there's all kinds of churches that got together that formed this network of churches that did a whole host of things for the homeless community. One of the things they would do, and East County participated in this, the East County Church of Christ, is that we turned all of our classrooms into dormitories and one week out of about every 12, because I think there's 12 churches, and they would rotate. One week out of every 12, our church building would become a, a, a place where uh, people that needed, that were, that were living through homelessness, they needed a place to stay. They would come and stay. We'd have people at the church come and cook for them. We have people that would come and just sit with them and get to know them. And because I was young and single, I volunteered every time to stay the night. In fact, not only did I volunteer at East County, they needed people at the Lutheran church, so I went and stayed the night at the Lutheran church one night. These are people 
that needed pathways and they needed agency. East County was not a, the savior. But they could provide that kind of pathway and they can provide agency. I had no idea what happened to any of those people. But I could help them through the night. Make sure they had something good to eat and a good conversation. Some encouragement. Our church has done similar things. We've prepared to get received refugees. Pathway and agency. And I hope that you encourage if, if they finally come one day. <laughs> we'll see. That you can provide pathways and agency. But we've done it through WizKids. We've done it through Friendspeak. We've done it through a whole host of things. There is a Savior. And we are not Him. But we know Him. There is a Savior. We, you and I, are not Him. But guess what? We know Him. And I want you to go through this series knowing that you and I play a role in hope. In a belief that others' futures can be better than their past. As God's people, we share in the responsibility of hope with others. And this is why. Because we believe Because we believe that God's future is better than our past. And we have a role to play in God's better future. Not only for ourselves, but for our community and for the entire world. Would you stand?